Welcome listeners to the final episode of our third year of Right Minded, other than our August mashup episodes, which we're excited to kind of pull together our favorite episodes of the year. Today is an extra special finale episode because our guest is our very own Grant Faulkner, whose newest short story collection, All the Comfort Sin Can Provide, is just out on Black Lawrence Press. Grant, congratulations on this new collection. Thanks, Brooke, and thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> it was tough to get a spot, in all honesty, but um, <laughs> I was able to move some things around to make room for you. And honestly, I feel very lucky that I got to read an advanced reader copy of your book, and I took it with me on my birthday weekend getaway back in June, and I was reading it in this very moody house that we rented. It had dark wood paneling and a front balcony perched up high on a sloping hill, so it felt like I was sitting in this little bird's nest reading your stories. And the experience was actually a little edgy in a good way. You know, it was just a a good moment, I say, that an edgy experience for an edgy book. And I'm going to read the description on the jacket of your book that says uh, that this is a collection of brutally unsentimental short stories that chronicles dreamers, addicts, and lost souls who have trusted too much in wayward love the perilous balm of substances or the unchecked hungers of others, but who are determined to find salvation in their odd definitions of transcendence. And so I just wanted to read that because it captures what you set out to do with these stories. And you do, Uh, you know, I did feel on edge at times, disturbed and sad, at times nostalgic um, and moved about the delicacy of the human condition. So, you know, you really knocked it out of the park and, and good job. So maybe you can tell us a bit about your process and and what you were hoping to share with these stories. Yeah. You know, um, when you mentioned you read this on your birthday, I'm deeply worried about that. <laughs> that, that, that this book maybe, uh, I don't know, tainted your birthday, could taint the memory of the birthday. Um uh, yeah, um, many worries there. So I'm, I hope it worked out. I hope it was edgy in a good way. And, you know, intent, um, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard for me to answer a question about intent. You know, these questions, I mean, what, what's interesting for me, or one thing that's interesting is just that these are a collection of stories that many of them have been ri- written within the last, you know, three to five years. A few of them were written, or maybe more than a few, I should go tally them up, actually, were written earlier in my life, as much as like one was, I think, written 25 years ago. So I guess there were varying intents over the years, but they are, I feel like the stories are related around the theme of the title. So I guess that goes, speaks to the fact that, that most writers do have a sort of focus on a theme over a period of time. And I guess that's been one of my focuses. Right. All the sins that comfort cannot provide or can provide. So, okay, we're going to, we're not, or not, maybe. Yeah, either or. Um, well, I know when you sent me the arc, you shared with me that reading your stories made you nervous. Obviously, me reading your stories also made you nervous. And now I'm, of course, recommending that all of our listeners get their copies immediately. But let's let's talk about that a little bit, like how a writer reckons with writing after the fact and how you're feeling now since the book has been formally made available for purchase and readers, you know, are really looking into the depths of your creative soul at the moment. Oh, my gosh. They are. They're looking <laughs> into the This is frightening. Everything I've said on Right Minded for three years, please disregard it or or just i guess know that i'm much better at giving 
other writer's advice that I am, uh, I guess, taking it or living it. Because I had this interesting moment recently where I got the proof copy for the book. You know, and this is the kind of the final look at it. And I have to read the whole book to look for whatever formatting problems or typos. And I, I, I opened the book up right um, it was like a day after I had scheduled uh, a book event in my hometown bookstore. And my mom had told me very proudly <laughs> that she had invited several of her friends to attend this um, this event, you know. And, and so I was reading it through those friends' eyes. And I was like, what on earth am I doing here? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, like, I don't want any of them to read it in, in some ways, you know, as much as I want them to come to the book event and buy the book and enjoy it and all that kinds of things. It really put the question of what I wrote, you know, like the value of it. And I think like a lot of writers, I, I questioned the value of it. I mean, thank God a publisher published it. So at least like one other person believes in the book. But, but I even started questioning. I'm like, why on earth did she publish this? <laughs> you know? Uh, so I had all those moments of sort of self-doubt and embarrassment and, um, I don't know, just, just worry, I guess, about putting it into the world and, and wondering how people will react to it. And I think it's good for a writer to really recognize with how risky it is not only to, to write something but to put it into the world that people are kind of looking into the depths of your creative soul, as you put it. Um, and now the other interesting thing I think is that like yesterday I, I got these really snazzy images with the book cover with the accompanying blurbs and I'm really proud of the the writers who wrote the blurbs and the blurbs themselves are really wonderful and you know I'm trying to follow the script of what writers should do about putting the book out in the world and um, you know using these images and and after like one post I'm sort of thoroughly exhausted by the marketing <laughs> efforts <laughs> you know like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of yeah I'm really, really done with it. And so that's interesting to me, too, is just how, um, you know, after all this advice we've given writers, you know, to do these things, like how hard it is to do now that I'm back doing it, I, you know, re relearning it, I guess, and re-recognizing that it's not an easy thing. And even I've done one podcast, and, and I thought it'd be super easy to do podcasts about the book, because I do podcasts all the time. But I'm talking about like the creative process of and writing and NaNoWriMo and 100 Word Story and all that stuff. I love talking about that and i can talk all day about it talking about my stories i found it a little bit different and a little bit more difficult well thanks for doing it with me then um because <laughs> yeah, this I, will be fun. and and i mean you're speaking of so many things that writers tell me about the exhaustion of it all but also the excitement because mm -hmm. lydia yuknovic had said that your stories were lit which i totally loved um, but another thing that's exhausting is 30 years of story <laughs> writing. Um, and as you said, it's a period of 30 years that you wrote all of these. So how do you feel about publishing stories from different eras of your life? And I'm imagining you were very different selves when you wrote different ones of these stories. Yeah, it made me think, I mean, on one hand, I actually kind of want to put a timestamp on certain stories. You know, I want to say this one was written from version of Grant, 1997. But on the other hand, I started thinking about this is that every time a writer writes a book, it's like the work of another author. Um, because you've, 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 you sort of shed a skin when you write a book, you move beyond it, I think, pretty quickly in a lot of ways. So that by the time it's published and comes out, 
it, it feels like something of the past. Um, so it's an interesting feeling, especially because it's a collection of short stories. I feel like there are several different versions of, of me in the book. But that said, you know, I, I don't want the time stamp on the stories to, to taint the stories at all, because I didn't just toss these stories in there. I don't think they suffer from being by a younger me. And I think in, in some ways, the older stories are more interesting, at least to me, because you know, they were written before social media and cell phones kind of took over the world. And they were written, you know, in, in a different era and different eras have different sensibilities. And now I'm, you know, increasingly intrigued by those sensibilities and what they produced creatively. So, yeah, but it's an interesting reckoning to have uh, these these unearthed versions of myself now in the world. Mm. Yeah. Well, in, in the book, you have different kinds of stories. I mean, you have long stories and very short stories, different form. I'm going to ask you a question about form later. But for the moment, you know, we talk so much about writing books and what it takes to write the real long, long form of, you know, like a 60, 80 or 100,000 word book. But you've been writing short stories your whole life. And short stories get the short shrift a little bit from publishers. They can be sort of the, the stepchild that nobody wants to get. They can be tough to place. So how do you feel about their place in your writing life and the world at large? Yeah, I think a lot of writers come up through short stories. They write short stories first. And they're, they're so often kind of portrayed as the minor leagues. Like you go into the minor leagues of short stories and you do that to learn how to write a novel. And then you kind of graduate from the short story to the novel. I think it's really interesting that so many authors have to leave the short story form behind because it's one that so many of us love. And it's super challenging. In some ways, it's more challenging to write something short than to write something long. Yet they're viewed, uh, certainly by publishers, as kind of like Cinderella, they don't get invited to the ball. <laughs> no mm -hmm. one wants, no one really wants them. I mean, they're oftentimes short story collections are oftentimes published in accompaniment with a novel kind of as a favor to, to the author. Like we'll publish your novel. We're really excited about that. And yeah, we'll publish your short stories, you know, as a nice thing to do as a gesture. And, you know, it's because they don't necessarily sell that well. But, you know, I, 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 I think it's really interesting. I, I hope they'll make a comeback because they used to actually back in the twenties, short stories. That's how a lot of authors made their living. People bought magazines. That was the number one reason they bought magazines was for the short stories in them. And now it's it's essentially the last reason that people, somebody would buy a magazine and increasingly magazines are de-emphasizing them or, or not publishing them at all. But if you think about it, they're, they're wonderful in that you can read them in one sitting within one day or one morning. I like them because I'm more likely to reread a short story than a novel, you know, so I can think about it more deeply. I guess my mind can wrap itself around a short story as a reader uh, much more easily. And then, of course, I'm a big fan of flash fiction, which is sort of the double stepchild for publishers. Um, <laughs> but I love I love the ways they capture these smaller and what I think of as like less noticed stories that might not make it into a bigger story. But I think like some smaller stories, just because they're small doesn't mean they're just as important. Um, and I think that, you know, writing isn't all about flexing big writerly muscles. You know, in, in America, we like big things. But I have a increasing appreciation for small things, I guess. And so I like the short story form. 
Yeah, I mean, so much comes to mind when you're talking about all this, because we live in this very like attention deficit culture. And you would think that short stories would be all the rage that it would make more sense that they would be more saleable. And so I wonder a, you know, the degree to which the publishing industry is really the ones driving that rather than readers. Mm -hmm. So that comes to mind. Well, I mean, maybe it is changing because when we had Disha Filia on, you know, who wrote The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, she was talking about how she was just getting so much attention for that book. It got all kinds of awards. It was selling like crazy. Um, And she was also on a very small press, a university press. And so I thought we would talk about that for a second. Your collection is with Black Lawrence Press, which is a very small publisher. I know you've worked with large and small presses. And so I was wondering if you would talk about the different experience with publishers. And I clearly think some small presses are more willing to take these kinds of risks and are maybe seeing the merit in these short story collections. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons I went with Black Lawrence Press. I didn't want to wait around to see if I could get a bigger press interested. Black Lawrence Press publishes wonderful books. And so I just decided a small press was the best home for this. And I and I really think that small presses, sometimes people think that if it's not a big press that you, that whatever, it's less less validation, I guess, for the quality of, of what's being published, but I don't think that's true at all. I think small presses, uh, we need to really celebrate them and support them because they're publishing not only a lot of voices that won't get published by bigger presses, but publishing a lot of different forms that also won't get published. Like they just don't make as much commercial sense. But I think like just what you said, actually, that, that maybe the publisher has decided they don't make sense instead of like giving them a shot, because I think short stuff might, it might be more appropriate than they think these days. But I just want to say some positive things about a small press. They might not have the big marketing budget uh, as a big publisher. They might not have the money to pay you in advance, but they do have the attention and the excitement and the determination. And like when I work with a small press, you know, I really value that direct communication I have with the publisher. They're really fun to work with. I learn a lot by being a collaborator with them. And collaborator is like a crucial word here because I feel like it's a very collaborative process. Like when, when a small press chooses a book, they don't have as much wiggle room. You know, they, they don't want the book to fail. Like a big publisher can have plenty of books fail. In fact, I, I just heard that only 8% of books that the big five publishes actually make a profit. You know, they make a big profit out of a very few books. And so small presses, when they take a book, they've got to get behind it. And so they might not have the marketing budget, but they do have the will and the passion. And mm-hmm. that, that, it's nice to feel that as an author because you can feed off of that. And like when I said earlier that I was exhausted by my single social media post, uh, I feel actually very beholden to helping out Black Lawrence Press market this, you know, in a way that I, in a way that I might not with a big publisher. So I really enjoy the, the experience. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've obviously heard that from so many indie authors over the years, and it is a very different experience. It's a little more like a family uh, rather than just getting in some mill style production process. Grant, I've seen people react to the title of this collection online, and I will say favorably so. So again, it's all the comfort sin can provide. What role did the title play in putting the collection together? And I mean, I'd actually love to hear where the heck did you come up with that? 
Yeah, it was um, the writer and friend Pamela Painter. She was reading um, some stories of mine, uh, one of which is in this collection called Morphine Drip, The Last Story. And she saw this phrase and she just marked it and said, if you ever have a collection of short stories, you should use this as the title. Mm. And I thought she was absolutely right. I, I really thank her for pointing that out because when she pointed that out, I realized that a lot of these stories I'd written over the years really did kind of fall under that theme. And I like the phrase itself. I think it's got a certain poetry to it. And, and as I was joking around earlier, it's it's a question, really. It's like, um, what comfort can sin provide? Does it provide any comfort? And what's the quality of that comfort? And so I think that these stories do speak to that. There are people, I mean, sin, not necessarily in the religious sense of sin, although you can think about it like that. But, but sin in the sense of people pushing boundaries and, you know, kind of lunging for different types of comfort and the question of whether those, those lunges or the comfort are indeed comfort or not comfort in the end. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's a, it's a question, you know, that we all, you know, live within. Uh, how much do we misbehave and how much do we behave, you know, from the beginning of time? And I like this Emerson quote where he says, what we call sin in others, uh, we call experiment in ourselves. And so I, I, the reason I like that is because I think it opens up sin in terms of like experiment, meaning pushing the conventions that have been handed down to you. So even living uh, any type of unconventional life can be uh, or feel like a certain type of sin. So, um, yeah, I think all the stories explore that in some form. Yeah, I, I see that theme running through for sure. And you also do play with structure and form in your collection with different points of view, different lengths. Some of your 100 word stories are included in here. So how did you think about the actual weaving together of the stories and or the experience that your reader would have when reading them? Because I see this as an equivalent to kind of putting together a musical score, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that people would be very curious to hear what considerations you have to contend with when you piece together a collection, especially of stories written over three decades. Yeah, I think all short story writers and poets really contend with this about the order they put the stories in and what, you know, kind of like you said, it was perfect, like the different tones you're creating, like how a story complements the story that precedes it or comes afterwards or contrasts it. And uh, I always wondered, do readers notice, <laughs> you know, can <laughs> you just throw the stories up and arrange them randomly? I don't really know. Um, I tried to do it with certain considerations of tone, like you mentioned. I also followed what I thought were some good guidelines. I've always heard that you should begin the collection with your best story. And I've heard that you should end it with your second best story. I don't think I did that with this necessarily, but I did, I think, lead with some of my best stories kind of up front. I don't know how people read books like this, though. I mean, I, when I read short story collections, I kind of hop around. I don't read them like linearly, uh, but I know that some people do. But I decided to end with the story that I mentioned, this, the story that includes the title, and it's also uh, about death. So I thought that that had a kind of interesting kind of bookend to things. Um, and in terms of like the forms of the story, I actually had different forms than what ended up in this final published version. When I was very young, I read a Hemingway collection of short stories, and I can't remember the title of it right now, but he put in all these like kind of little wispy snippets in between stories. They weren't titled stories. They were just kind of like added to the mood of the reading experience. And I had done that in an earlier draft of this. And the publisher actually 
um, didn't think they were working. And so mm -hmm. I decided to follow her advice. Um, so some of those hundred word stories remained, but a lot of them were taken out. I like the idea of just like randomly kind of throwing against the wall, whatever order, and then claiming to have worked really hard at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I put so much thought into this and just, <laughs> oh, it really worked. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to admit to that? Somebody's done it. So I thought we could close with a favorite story or two from the collection. And since some of them are so short, maybe you could read one of the flash fiction pieces. Oh, cool. Yeah, I th I, it's hard to pick favorites. I think that's a little like a Sophie's Choice exercise, but I do want to, I just want to tell um, a story or two um, that might be interesting to listeners about a couple of the stories. Uh, the oldest one in the collection, the one that was written 25 or 30 years ago, is called Sleeping and Not Sleeping and Waking. And um, it's about this character with insomnia and everything that he goes through. But uh, the story is that I wrote that and, and I, I submitted it to the Paris Review and I got this wonderfully handwritten rejection from the, um, from the editor. And, and, and I literally thought I was on the cusp of making it big <laughs> just to get this from the Paris Review. It was such an honor. But of course, like years went by before even this story was published. So it's, it's all just kind of like uh, I wanted to impart that you can, you can get these little nuggets along the way that can make you think that you're going to get published or that success is imminent and it isn't necessarily uh but i do cherish that letter and then the names of all things uh, i wrote when i lived in arizona and i i'm not a big person to enter stories and contests but i did enter this in a contest for the southwest review and a lot of time went by and i emailed them one day and i said just because i was like i paid a 30 dollars entry fee for this i want to know what happened and I emailed them at like 6 a.m. and got an email back at 6.30 a.m. And they were like, oh, yeah, that was the runner-up. It was uh, in the press release. And I was like, press release? <laughs> what press release? Like, no one told me. And so I think it's interesting. The A lot of small presses or small magazines, they don't have this big staff to keep everything in line. And so somehow I fell through the cracks. But the the good part of the story is that I wrote them back and just asked. Being, being a runner-up or an, getting an honorable mention wasn't good enough to be published. But I asked them if they would be interested in publishing the story. And they said yes. And the story had been previously rejected, actually. So just uh, an advice to keep communication lines open and to always ask the question, do you want to publish this? Nice. You got to just keep plugging away. And um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and are you going to read one of the short pieces? Yeah, I'll read Morphine Drip, which is the last story in the collection. And just to, to frame it a little bit, this isn't in the text of the story, but I imagine it as a son in a hospital room uh, with his father, uh, as his father's dying, actually. So Morphine Drip. It's what we remember, he said, as if clinging to a frayed thread tossed to a man overboard in a storm. Outside a few parked cars, inside a dim bluish light. Frogs croaking in the woods, gin rickies under an August moon, the violet night. He said something about a boy named Jim, his pants down to his ankles, his tuxedo shirt unbuttoned long baby hairs on smooth cheeks. Never underestimate the comfort sin can provide, he said. A lifetime of bedtime stories, all to your lonesome. Skin crinkled around his eyes, his dry lips pressed feebly around a straw. Wow, thank you, Grant. It gives a flavor of the tone and the voice uh, that you bring to these stories. So... It's very fun because we talk about writing, but we don't get an opportunity to read our own writing all that much. So thank you. 
Thanks for being a guest on our show. <laughs> it was my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, and, you know, we're just going to transition right to the book pick because it goes without saying that in support of Grant and to end this season, I am recommending All the Comfort Sin Can Provide. It's a great collection. You can read it maybe not in one sitting, but you can certainly read it in a day or you could take weeks to read it as you slowly digest it because the stories are are really profound and deep and, and oftentimes troubling in a good way. And I, I actually was happy to spend my 45th birthday reading your stories, Grant, because I, I like dark things, so it's great. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend it as good birthday reading from now on. This is going to be yeah. my, my whole shtick. You can start your social media again <laughs> with good birthday reading. Right. And and together we're closing today to offer a big, big thank you. The fact that we've been doing this for three years every single week is pretty astounding to both of us, I think. And uh, as I said, we're going to have these August episodes where we share the favorites from this season. But we will be back in September with a brand new season. And so, Grant, I couldn't be happier to be doing this again for at least another year with you. At least. If not more. Yeah, if not more. Yeah, it's super fun for us. So I really, and it, it, it's made super fun because of our listeners. I love hearing from them. I love knowing that they're listening. Thanks, everybody. And uh, yeah, enjoy August. Have a super happy summer. We will be here in your feed, but we'll be back with new episodes in the first week of September. 